Hello, um, my name is Rika. Um, I was actually t thinking about not saying what my name was because it's kind of unique. But um, I'm a compulsive overeater <laughs> bulimic. Um, but I figured, you know, if I'm going to stand up here, I may as well stand up for myself and whatever that means in the world. Um, so, um, yeah, so compulsive overeater bulimic, um, fundamentally, um, throwing up was my way of dealing with feelings. Like, full stop. It wasn't, I ate too much. It wasn't, um, it wasn't, it was never consistently the same thing that made me want to go and throw up. Throwing up was about my, my inability to deal with my feelings and my emotions. Um, so I'm going to kind of go with the, what was it like? What happened? What's it like now? Just to sort of give myself a little bit of a framework of thinking, because I can kind of, you know, play willy nilly with a lot of things. Um, so, uh, you know, I, um, I'm from Denmark originally, and uh, my father was a pretty famous artist, and my mom was an au pair. They met in this little romantic, romantic experience in Paris, and, you know, this whole thing. And we moved to the United States and, um, when I was about eight years old, and we moved to East L.A. And um, they were the most narcissistic hippies I've ever met. Um, you know, they, pr they pride themselves on, you know, being like for the everyman and all this other stuff. But it was everyman except for, you know, me, my brother, anybody who needed anything from them. They'd love people who were like, they would love the waitress. They'd rather talk to the waitress than talk to me or my brother. Um, but, you know, the challenge for me was more that... Um, I was easy, right? My brother had dyslexia, dysgraphia. He was always struggling. Um, he was four years older than me. And, you know, he was always challenged. So I was always just okay. I was just, I was, I'm, I'm good, right? I was always okay. Um, and I, I don't really think that I spent much time really playing. I was really a lot of playing the adult in many of the situations. Um, my dad left us when, we were, when I was about 10 um, because my mom, you know, realized that we had to go to school, so we had to actually stay somewhere. He wanted to be a gypsy for the rest of his life, um, and in fact was. But, um, you know, for us, that meant, you know, my mom had to give up her life, give up her, her dreams. That's how she you know, presented it. She had to be strong. She never had to show her feelings. Um, it wasn't okay to have needs. She herself didn't have needs. So for us to have needs was just like too much, right? When she was just trying to pay the bills. And, um, you know, we, we were very, very, very poor um, when I was uh, little. And I just remember like refrying our own beans and um, eating spaghetti for two weeks because my mom made a bunch of spaghetti. And um, I just remember that, that it never made me happy and it never filled me up um, because I was looking for some like to be seen, right? And um, my brother to be seen would take spaghetti and pour it on his head. Um, and I would, you know, go to my room and, you know, read some book or, or go out and play in the trees, you know, do something else. But I couldn't, I couldn't be there and not be seen, so I tried to be not present. Um, and even when I was there, I felt unpresent, like not present. Um, and, you know, I think this, this early abandonment from, from my dad really kind of uh, told me that um, I wasn't enough and men weren't enough, right? Like I had this real sense that men will leave. Check. Got it. And my mom, who really did her best, and I, and I will say I will commend her for it, is to try and make him not seem like, you know, he left us, right? She didn't have that that conversation with us, um, but, 
it, it was there, right? She didn't say it, but it was what she um, felt. And that made it really hard for us to, um, to sort of just be vulnerable. Um, but food, you know, never really served me. I didn't know how to deal with my feelings, so I just avoided all the time. If there was a feeling that I was uncomfortable with, I would go do something else. There's a phrase in Danish that's, um, uh, you know, oh, you have to go to the bathroom, run upstairs. Which is like, just distract yourself. Go do something else. You have a need, go do something else. Like, you, you can't be a bother to anybody. Um, so, you know, growing up like that, it was, it was kind of a little insane. Um, you know, I was super naive, and, um, but I also knew that I had a tremendous amount of power in this, right? Like, I could control a lot of things. So I kind of started to use that to, to control how things were happening and what wasn't happening and where we were going and how my mom was driving us to school. And, you know, she lied about us going, living places so we could go to the good schools. She lied about us so that I could get into this class. And they told me I wasn't smart enough. They told me that I wasn't gifted. I remember this vividly, and I've been paying for it my whole life, um, which is really a high price to pay. Um, but, you know, like, for us, it was, you know, we just had to do whatever we had to do. Like, I didn't even think for a second there was an option. I was just very scrappy. Um, I've always been very scrappy, and it served me well. And I think, you know, you take whatever it takes to numb the, numb the pain, which, you know, eventually became food in some instances, and eventually became, you know, um, any number of dulling mechanisms that I could find. But food was always the safest. Um, until it wasn't. Um, my, uh, my dad was around as much as he left us. My, he would come back every few years. He'd be in Belgium and, you know, doing arty things. And, um, you know, making a real name for himself, which was great for him. Uh, he would come back and he would, he would say things like, oh, you smell like a fat person. And I'd be like, oh, lovely. I was like a size 10 like in high school like what? Uh, I didn't know what that meant but I realized later it was about his wife who was 50 or 60 pounds overweight and she smelled a certain way and he had this point of view about it and he was always dating these gorgeous beautiful women you know these models and blah blah and so for him it was this offense that you were unattractive he told me my shoes made my feet look too big I needed to wear different shoes he would take me out he wouldn't buy me anything he would take me out to buy shoes to make my feet look smaller and then he would bring me out like a pony trick because I spoke Danish and, uh, you know, whatever, and showed all of his friends how I could speak Danish. So, you know, I just, like, I was just always somebody's little chameleon puppet. Um, and suffice to say, um, uh, I did okay, right? Like, thank God, like at the end of all this. But, but it was really painful. And when I was 12, this is just like something that has stuck with me, and I think it's a, a really defining moment for me, is that this is kind of silly, but I saw the neighbor's penis. He showed me his penis, and I thought I was pregnant for two and a half years. <laughs> I felt in my stomach, you know, your heartbeat in your stomach, and I thought I was pregnant for two and a half years. I cried myself to sleep every night. My mom didn't know. She didn't know. And, you know, those are, that's, that's, that's how invisible that I always felt. And the only way I could be needy was if I was really sick. Like, that was the only way. Even today, I'm like, I can't stop. I have to be superwoman. I have to keep going. I have to, I have to, I have to. I can't tell anybody I need anything. Oh, my God, no. So, to me, like, that kind of led me to 
um, doing a lot of crazy life things, really making some great progress. I mean, really doing okay. My brother has, you know, um, uh, bipolar disease. He's challenged. He has, you know, he's constantly having a hard time and I was helping him spell and you know I was always the one that made it okay I mean I would make money and help my mom with her car like I would you know I would always be the helper um, and you know I didn't realize for the longest time that I didn't know who I was until I was probably my late 20s when I was like well I don't want to do that <laughs> you know I hadn't even thought about that like I didn't think I had a choice um, it wasn't about me and, and I just craved something to be about me, but I didn't want to be seen. So it was this weird thing that I was always balancing that. Um, so, you know, th- that's sort of the, the, the coping mechanisms that I was trying to get away from. Um, when I um, got accepted to uh, Berkeley, I told my dad, I called him in Belgium. I was like, hey, pop, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, what? Oh, cool. Didn't show up for my graduation. Didn't care. Like, that wasn't a thing that made his friends impressed. Like, it just wasn't, a, you know. It wasn't about him. And my mother, however, thought, oh, this is, this is my star daughter, right? Like, this is. And so there was nothing that, that I could do that didn't make it about her. It was always her. It was like, oh, my daughter's going to Berkeley. You know, I really helped her with the essays, and you know, and I paid for my way through college because she couldn't help. No, no detriment to her, but she still tells people to this day that she paid through my me, my way through college. Um, so, you know, suffice to say, I have daddy and mommy issues. So that's the thing. Um, and you know, my body was the only thing that I really felt um, uh, I could control. And I had no control, right? Like I, I, but I, but I, I didn't control it because I dieted, because I was sucky at that. Like I tried, but I never wanted to have to follow rules. Like I wanted to do anything but the rules. Like you want me to eat healthy food, and I'm gonna eat this other thing. My mom would say something bad to me, I'd eat at her, because she'd be like, you know, if you eat that, you're gonna get that. And I'm like, yeah. She also told me, you know, if you watch that program, you're, you know, you're, you're a dumbass. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Um, you know, so it was just like everything I did, I was doing in antithesis. So by the time I was 30, I figured out, okay, I know who I am, or at least I know who I want to sort of lean the direction of. And um, that's when I met my, um, my husband. And the reason I bring him up in particular is because I met him in a very sort of sketchy situation. Um, without any details and we were doing some sketchy things um, and he was the nicest sweetest man I'd ever met called me the next day and we've been together ever since we have a daughter like an amazing man but he also has an ism of his own so for five years I was dealing with his ism which essentially reflected how I felt I took a direct for reflection of how I felt about myself so for that first five years of our, our marriage, um, our child's growth, all this stuff, I, I was starting to realize, like, point, 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 four fingers myself, point, 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 oh, four fingers on myself. Like, what is happening? I was pointing so many fingers at him, trying to fix him, when in fact I was, like, not paying attention to what was happening here. I was so obsessed with what he was or wasn't doing, how he was doing it, that I forgot, like, 
And I started to gain weight, and then I started to throw up, and then I started to gain weight, and I started to throw up. And I was just like, it was a cycle, and it was about my feelings about that, but I wasn't aware of it. And so he finally got to a place where I said, listen, this is going to stop, and I'm going to hit the road, and he decided to go to rehab and do what have you. Um, That is when I said, maybe I have something going on here. Like, God forbid, right? Like, self-awareness? Like, no. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I thought about it, but in the abstract, right? I was always very intellectual about the way I thought about things. So when I came into these rooms, I remember coming into the first meeting. I want to say it was Serenity Sunday where they had the, the little newcomer thing beforehand. And um, I, I was, like, sitting in there, and everybody was like, oh, I've got this, and I'm doing this, and somebody is an anorexia, and everybody's this. And I was like, wow, it's a party in here. <laughs> you know? Like, I could just sort of hide, right? Like, that was what I thought. Like, I could just be here and sort of half-ass perform. And, you know, half, what is it, half measures avails of nothing. For a really long time, I did that. But I kept going to meetings because I knew there was something there for me. Um, I went to the log cabin uh, kitchen sink meeting. I started going to the women's meeting on Sunday and stopped going to Serenity Sunday because I felt like there was so much sexual stuff that I wanted to talk about and feel like I could talk about it in a more open way. Um, But what I knew for sure is that when I came in here, I was just a little bit less obsessed about my body, what it was doing, what it wasn't doing, what I was putting in it. My feelings kind of would, I'd share them. I'm like, oh, why am I sharing that with some random person? Like, I I don't share anything, right? Because I don't want to be a burden to anybody. And I think that's what my challenge was for the first, I've been in program for over eight years. I've got seven years abstinence of not throwing up. I've tried many, many variations on how my food had to be perfect. And um, I know that doing that, it was an exercise in exercising. (laughs) Because for me, it was really hard. Every time I did that, I'd find new ways to fail. Because I just needed to find a new way to fail. Like, oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm going to set it really extreme. I'm going to be like, I'm going to do this perfect version of, you know, whatever perfect is. There isn't such a thing. But, you know, I have this notion that I need to do that and I can't show up messy. And I'm messy. Like, I'm messy. I'm intense. I'm, you know, opinionated. I'm, you know, like, get annoyed. Like, I am so, like, all over the place. But I, one thing I did notice when I was doing my food very, I guess, righteously, I thought, for a, mir- a, myriad of, a little period of time, because you know how that is. It goes for periods of time. Um, but I realized, like, wow, my brain was a little bit more even. Like, I wasn't as this when I was eating to fuel my body. Like I wasn't, you know, doing any shoving, any, you know, avoiding things. It was actually a much more even thing so that when those things could come up, I could talk about them. And, you know, every time I came to meetings, I I had the opportunity to kind of open up. And I remember, like, still to this day, like, I'm having a shitty day when I want to leave before the end. Like, something's going on. What am I not dealing with? Sometimes I actually have somewhere to go that I have to deal with something. But, like, there's, there, I'll be sitting halfway through a meeting going, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm good now. Yeah, got to go. You know, I got just enough to sort of cut the edge, and I'm going to And I do. And I literally, I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'll do that in the middle of a conversation. Because I love somebody, and I don't want them to not love me. Like, there's a moment where I'm like, 
I'm annoying them. I'm being, I'm being, I'm saying the same thing. I've said every time. I'm talking about the same thing. Oh, God, I can't call them. Because if I call them, I have to think about what I'm going to say. I mean, God forbid, like, mm, what if I don't say anything fun or interesting? Ugh. Right? Like, I, I literally spend that time, you know, because I'm afraid of feeling like that somebody's going to abandon me. Nobody's going to love me. And my body gets the brunt of that. When I start doing that, like the thighs, this, the hip is that, the, you know, the, chi- well, I'm getting older, so there's that. But like, you know, I mean, those are things that I, like, I couldn't have done if I hadn't even been in, the, in these rooms for as long as I've been here. So I've gotten, I mean, one, one year, I think it was like the third year in, somebody, I was saying, sharing at a, at a smaller meeting, I was like, you know, I'm such a man, I'm a mess, and I don't do enough, and I haven't done enough food, and judgy, 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 McJudgerson, doing her due, and somebody after me just said, you know, you're a lot calmer than you were last year. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> okay, thanks for that. I mean, but like you get so like, oh, wow, this is not enough, and this is more not enough, and I'm still not enough, because like, that's just like the piece of shit the world revolves around, right? Like, constantly just like, living in that, how do I make it true, this feeling I have in my head. Um, so, you know, I came into program, I started, to, I started to read the literature, I bought every book under the sun, probably two or three of each, because, you know, I'm not kind of obsessive. Like, I need to have one for each area, I might want to read it. Like, literally, the for today's book, I have four. Like, one for my car, one for my bag, one for the side of my bed. Like, really, and one for my office. And I do that because then I have no excuse. I'm like, I have it. I'm like, damn it. I'm having a moment. I open it up, and for today really works for me. Um, I'm powerless. I'm 120,000 million percent powerless over the feelings that lead me to medicate to eat, to, to snack, to run away, to, like, all of the things I do to not be seen. Um, but what I know is it's getting better from one day at a time, just being sensitive. Like, one of my biggest things in my first three years was, like, okay, so I'm not going to go do some weird food plan. That's what I called it anyway. Um, some weird extreme food plan. But I will be, you know, conscious of... When I'm talking to people, what if I'm doing, if I'm reaching out, when am I not reaching out? Why do I not reach out? I literally hate picking up the phone. Like, that's the heaviest thing in the world. That's like the head, I can't, I, uh, mm. yeah, somebody calls me, oh, so cool they called, I can't call back. And I still struggle with that today, and I struggle with that every day. But, but today, like, I get to show up like and be of service I get to be present I get to move all the way across country to Hershey and I'm saying that because chocolate it's where I went to work I worked for them for two and a half years and they have bowls the size of this at every surface and my commitment to myself was it's not my food unless I bought it I'm going to go buy it that's my business but if it's like just sitting there and fun size it ain't fun because you're like, <laughs> and you, you know, people do. And I literally could sit there and I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, look at that, oh, oh, you know, and you can see the people doing the thing. And it's like this robotic thing. And I, and I literally would find myself obsessing about that, right? Because that's fun. But, um, but you know what I found is like, huh, what's happening with me right now that I'm looking at their stuff? Like, I don't need to eat that. Like, I don't need to eat that. And, you know, so coming back has been a whirlwind of, 
of things for me. Um, when I think about, um, se- you know, step one, obviously, I, I feel comfortable being very, very powerless. Where I always struggled was with the God thing. And um, mostly because my mom said religious people are stupid. And you would be stupid if you did that too. And I studied religion in college just to understand and learn because my mom certainly wouldn't have taught me. But, but I never really understood, like, if I, I never needed to join. Like, I was never a joiner, right? So I always said when I came in here, I was like, oh, you guys want to talk about God? Hmm. Uh, no. You know, I tried on a bunch of things. I tried on the ocean. I tried on a tree. I tried on the rooms. I tried on, you know, I tried on all these things that needed to be God. And, and what I know is that I'm not God. And as long as I remember that, then I feel like I can continue to grow. But if I, if I start thinking that, you know, I can do this alone, I don't need anybody to talk to, I don't need, you know, I don't need to read a book, I don't need to go to meetings, I, you know, oh, it's been weeks, eh, they don't even know, I, you know, I feel that much, um, that much saner when I, when I can let go. So I, I sit in my car very regularly and meditate. You know, stop signs or I mean, stop lights are my favorite because they're three minutes roughly. So I get a good like, okay, mm, and then somebody honks me, thinking I'm on my phone, but I'm not. Um, but you know, I, I know that, that that I do little baby steps in the right direction because when I start to think that I need to take big steps and huge steps and I need to be better than what I can do, like that's when I immediately just go, <laughs> I'm like, it's this. It, and if I'm not paying attention every day to these little cues. That's when I start to go into the spiral, right? So when we moved back, um, I was, you know, we bought a house, we're doing this construction, and all this stuff is happening, and, you know, new job, whatever. And I went to bed one night, and I thought, huh, you know, I could throw up. I was like, oh, shit. Oot. Uh, toot. Um, I have to go to more meetings. And I hadn't found my regimen again, right? Like, I had a four-meeting-a-week program when I was here. But in Pennsylvania, I had uh, two choices. And one was 45 minutes hour. And the other one was 25 minutes hour. And I was like, okay. You know, I will say, though, thank God for program in Pennsylvania. I mean, while they do things differently, they don't clap. They say thank you for sharing, um, uh, which I thought was weird too. But and they talk after every paragraph. I was super judgy about that for a while. But when I left here, it was the first time I realized how comfortable I was being seen. I was sitting in a Wednesday morning meeting that like three days before I left, and I was like, Oh my God, I could say whatever and do whatever and be whatever. Hmm, that's pretty cool. And then when I went to Pennsylvania, I was like, "Mm, this is very different. But I was able to do that, too, over time. And interestingly enough, I was on the inter, you know, intergroup. And I was like, I was doing all kinds of anything I could to stay connected because there were so few meetings. Um, I found sponsor again. And I have had sponsors, but they were never perfect. Um, (laughs) You know, more importantly, I couldn't be honest with them. I needed to feel safe being honest with who I was. And I had many judgments about what that person would look like. And what I found is the person who I thought looked like it um, wasn't, and the one who I didn't think was, was. Right? So I just had to go through that process to get there. So what I will say is it's better than yesterday. It's better than last year. It's better than eight years ago. Um, but it's, you know, for me, it's just progress, not perfection. Thanks for having me, Cher.
This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. This is being recorded, so please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Uh, okay, I will restate the questions. Um, okay. So I guess we start now? Okay. Um, for me, I think my, my higher power really delivers me an opportunity to let go of what I think I should control. So I have this fundamental belief, like, if there's something I keep kind of pushing on, I ask myself this question, somebody suggested in the program to me, it's like, if that wasn't true, whatever I think is getting in my way, what would I then do? And that pause, that moment, um, allows me to, like, Remember that I'm not in control. Like, I don't get to be in control. So when it comes to having this belief that there's something else in control other than me, that I know is that's my higher power, and that helps me be open to other alternatives than my, my single solution, if that's go get food or that's, you know, avoid people or whatever the thing is I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to avoid. Oh, hi, what does my higher power afford me? What's the question? <laughs> Step nine was incredibly difficult for me um, because, you know, well, let me just, let me, let me go back. Obviously, you've got to do your step four, um, really do this whole list of like what I thought was like unmeasurable, horrible, horrible people things. That's when I tell people, they're like, mm, whatever. You know, they weren't as big as what I had built them out to be. When I, when I shared step nine, I think, you know, with my mother, for example, um, I had to go into that with a very clear knowledge that she was not going to give me what I needed. Like, she wasn't giving me anything. This was me taking care of me and my side of the street and saying, hey, you know, I understand these things happened, you know, and I really had a lot of anger towards you. I have a lot of resentment. I still, you know, have these feelings about it. I just wanted to say I'm sorry, and I, I don't mean to hurt you as a part of me deal, taking care of myself. That was hard for me because I still was like, but, but, because she wants to argue because she still argue with me and I was, it was everything I could do to just be like just let her do it like let her do her part um, same thing you know same thing when I was dealing with my um, my husband about it like you know I know I'm really shitty when you know and uh, I just want you to know I'm aware of it and I'm working every day to try and not be that way um, and please feel free to say this safe thing to me when and if that comes up so then I can kind of be like oh yeah okay that was my word that's not his word I didn't want him to come up with a word it had to be a safe word for me to sort of let you know kind of lean back otherwise you know I'm in full charge protect myself mode right um, so yeah when it comes to uh, step nine it's, it's definitely and every time is a little bit different but I think the big key for me was not expecting it to be anything except for just a thing like check right did that and it actually was pretty cool. After that, I was like, oh, okay, we're good now. I can start over, and I can screw up next time, too. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, so not wanting to be a bother mm-hmm. and always be okay, how do you now tell people what you need, what's good for you, ask for what you want, their tools? 
Are there tools that help me not be a bother or um, a burden to anybody? Um, you know, it's something I have to be really aware of. It's, it's a perpetual, um, like, it's the easiest rear its head thing um, for me. And what I find is the more I do a routine, so read my for today, you know, go to to friends and, you know, say, hey, how's it going? You know, just a little simple thing like that. I have a tendency then to be pulled in by them to say, hey, how's it going? And then I'm like, oh, it's safe, right? But I never, but I, I use that as a way for, for, for me to go, it's okay to be vulnerable, right? Because that's fundamentally what I don't want to be. Like, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want anybody to not love me, you know? So, what I have to realize is that with my mother, I say, I have very strong boundaries with my mother now. Um, I'll say, Mom, if you do this or this or this behavior, I will leave. And she's like, don't be such a drama queen. Right? Still. Right. And, and I go, okay, I'm still going to leave. And she's like, you're not out yelling at me. My daughter's standing there. My husband's standing there. Everybody's just like, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, I'm leaving now. And my husband's like, oh, stop. Don't be, don't come on it's okay we're gonna be good and I'm like no this is not this is like a full stop and I have that same thing with friends like certain friends I I I if I can't be safe in that way with someone then I just sort of don't um and you know I think once somebody gets there sometimes it takes a while to get there for me because I'm like friends with a lot of people but like people who really know me who've known me for a really long time, they can pretty much say anything and I can pretty much say anything. And that, that's, you know, that's, that's not a big group of people. Um, so it just keeps me safe um, to be really aware of it and call myself on it when I hear it. It's not perfect, I'll say that much. Hmm. Thank you for your share. Sure. Um, I like the definition of God is not me. Can you talk a little bit more about what you pray to God I had a premise like in my head oh, many, many years ago and a few years into program where it was just like, who's that voice? Like, if it's not me, who's that voice? You know, the mean voice. Hmm, that's my mother. Okay. Like, certain phrases, certain things. I, I tried it. So I would write about like what I wanted to, how I identified. So when it came to um, uh, how do I deal with my higher power, which was the question, um, or something like that, right? How does that come to life? Okay. Um, you know, I had to understand what wasn't my higher power, right? So if it's not that, then what is it? Okay, if it's not that, then what is it? If it's not that, then what is it? Like, when I do something gentle, like even, even when I speak, because I speak for work and do stuff where I have to do presentations, and... and I always know when I'm in a zone or in real space, in a real honest space is when I'm so and I'm more quiet. And so for me, when I'm able to do that, I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable in the seat of me, right? Like, what does that look like? And when I'm not, I, I have this, this habit of tapping the ground. I'll do some minor version of just, I'm just right here, just, just right here, like, Everywhere else I think I could be, should be, might be, like, somebody might be thinking about me. Like, all these things are somewhere else. And I'm like, and if I can stop, then I know that my higher power is is near me, whatever that is. If that's just a 
like a, I, I like to say like a Wonder Woman, you know, like clear thing around me. And when I'm able to like let it be and not breaking it myself, because, you know, break holes into it myself, um, that's when I know it's in, in an honest, good place for, for me. I really want to be funny and just say I hang up the phone. But, um, <laughs> I mean, food calls every day. I mean, to some degree. I see it. I'm like, yeah, you're not my friend. Like, no, I don't need that. But when it's really calling, um, when in times of stress or what have you, I reach out to fellows, to friends. I'd be like, there's this cake on the table. I totally don't even want it. Don't even like it. I really don't like sugar stuff. Um, so I always know when I'm in an extreme moment when I'm reaching for something sweet. I'm more of a savory, salty, like that's the kind of habitual, snacky things I do. Um, I reach out to friends. Um, I walk away. I throw it away. Like if it's something that just keeps distracting me, like in the, co- in the uh, break room, you know, there'll be like cookies out and things like that. I'm like, mm, I can't go in there today. Like, or, you know, I just make sure that I don't leave myself alone with them. And if I leave myself alone with them, I have to put the shackles on and be really, really conscious of it because I'm actually doing it on purpose, especially if I'm aware they're there. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm over right there. Yeah, uh-huh. And I'm thinking, hmm, they're right there. You know, they're still over there. Nobody's taking them. And or slash I count how many cookies other people take and I get obsessed with it from that way. Like, I'm not getting my share, right? So in those instances, I have to just be aware and then I call people and tell people, like, oh, my God, I saw these cookies. They were across the room and they were, like, yelling at me. You know, they were rude. You know, I have to make them kind of, like, not the bad guy because then I can make them also my favorite best guy, right? Like, I want to defy the rules. I want to have the thing that I shouldn't, you know. So I, I, I have to sort of always check that boundary. Thank you so much for your lead. How do you... Show up for your daughter in a healthy way, given some of how you said uh, your familial experiences were. Given uh, my familial experiences, um, how do I show up for my daughter? Um, I'm very um, sensitive to the behaviors and the way I am with my daughter. Um, I'm also sensitive to the stuff I try and put that I put her in as it relates to my mother. So I'm very particular about how that happens. But I actually talk to her quite a bit. Um, I explained to her, I'm like, you know, mom, you know, goes to these meetings and I do it because I get really nervous about my feelings and I don't know how to deal with them. Um, so I've explained that to her um, multiple times. She's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like the third time, right? Um, but I, I keep telling her at different ages, so she kind of kind of gets it from that point of view. Now she's 13. So um, she, she eats like a bird, always has, ever since she was little. I remember she would snack, 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 all day long. I mean, from womb to today. And it makes me nuts. She eats all normal. She wants to eat, like, healthy food. When she wants snacks, she wants an apple. Like, it's just weird. And so, so I say to her, I'm like, really? You just want that? Don't you want this candy? You know, somebody will bring up candy or Halloween. You know, she'll have this stash. And she'll be like, yeah, I got this stash. And she'll put it there. And my husband and I both are like, yeah. like, 
what's over there? And she will have it for a year and a half. Like, seriously. She'll be like adding more from the last time. And I'm like, oh my God. And so I tell her, I'm like, Mira's that way. I just want you to know, your stuff is not mine. Not mine. She's like, don't you want one? And I'm like, no, I appreciate you giving it to me though. And she's like, she, she just doesn't understand it, but we talk a lot about it when, when I'm having anxiety. I'm like, you know, mom is feeling really ang- anxious right now and I really just want to eat all that bread in the basket. And she goes, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, she says it very matter-of-factly, right? Like, uh, but, but it is weird. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> but but she's, she's so sweet. Um, I couldn't be more lucky. Yeah. Can you just talk more about how you worked your program dealing with that huge move, not just the location move, but even work-wise, and then the move back and mm-hmm. still dealing with that? How, how do I deal with uh, having my Wednesday meeting, moving away and moving back, and how does that my program work in relation to that? Um, the only reason I was able to do that is because of this program, um, 100%. I allowed myself to be bigger than I was. Um, I had been working in a company for seven years. I had transformed it, done all the things. My work there was done. Like, I, I was really clear on that, right? Like, but I was still staying there. It was safe, right? And I didn't know how to, to evolve by staying in the same space that I was, even in L.A. And a, a dear friend of mine reached out to me, and she's like, I need somebody to do this and run this. Can you do it? And I said, yeah, but I'm not going to go to a small town USA for more than two or three years. Like, it's not my idea of a good time. So I was really clear in, in the beginning that I needed this to grow bigger here. But I needed to go away to, and not like a, you know, how people talk about, like, I need to go somewhere else to be something else in your own program or whatever the phrase is that people use to, um, what is it, geographical or something. Um, but when I went there... Um, I was faced with every fear I'd ever had. I had no friends. I still, like, at, when I left, I had two, three good friends. That was it. Like, I, I, I hibernated. No joke, it was weather, too, but, like, hibernated. Like, I was very, I, I um, started taking medication because of the dark and vitamin D. It was, like, incredibly difficult. Um... But because I had program, I was able to share that in a unique way because everybody there had lived with it their whole lives, right? They had been there for, you know, their whole universe. And so this was usual and normal for them. And for me, I didn't realize how much I was affected, um, A, by the diversity, that was a thing, um, and the, the, the light of the day. And so when I would go to meetings, I would sit down and I would just be like, this is my one chance this week. I took it so seriously. When I had my meetings, I was like, oh my God. And that's why I did intergroup. That's why I did, that's how I made it work better for me. It was like, I, I went through all my, I went through some of my steps. I, I worked really closely with a sponsor in a very different way than the sponsor I'd worked with here. Um, I just did all the things that I wouldn't have done if I were in a safe space. Like I made progress and grew in ways that, uh, that I wouldn't have done if I stayed here. So coming back, 
it's actually harder than I anticipated to come back and just sort of slide into the life, right, where everything seems easy. Because I have to understand that I've grown. <laughs> so now what does that mean here? How, does, how do I show up here? And, you know, obviously now the dynamic of my mom, she's here, and well, my brother's here, and his family. So, so for me, the, the career grew. I came back in a doubly great position when I came back, so that was easy. We bought a house, which I never thought I would own in this city. You know, the, there were a lot of progra- progress, but that's because I was able to ask questions. I was able to feel vulnerable. I was able to rely on something other than myself. I could ask people like, hey, what would you do? Should I do this? And before I'd be like, don't tell me what to do. I know the answer. And if I tell you I don't know the answer, you know, I'm really just sort of playing a game because I still think I have the right answer, you know? Um, So it's the reason I grew um, in the last couple of years, Um, but it's because I was felt safe enough and I had enough support from people that I loved and loved me because, not because of what I could do for them, not because of, you know, any number of things. They just, they loved me before I loved myself. when we first came in here, I just like the people's faces and the kindness and the stories and the people who didn't look like me who uh, had the same experiences and just all of that stuff was, it allowed me to be open to people in Pennsylvania where they were just so different. So it was a good experience. Thanks.